Let us pray. Father, come among us even now by your Spirit. Teach us, instruct us, challenge us to a deeper walk with you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning again, everyone, both here in person and good morning, everyone at home watching via the live stream. I'm so glad that you joined us. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and um, turn to our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm shifting gears a little bit today, not focusing on our gospel reading from Matthew. Um, the past number of weeks I've focused on our gospel reading, although historically I preach from the Old Testament quite a bit. But I want to look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 through 14. Today's reading is set at the beginning of King Solomon's reign as king of Israel. And Solomon's reign was especially noted for his God-given wisdom, which resulted in prosperity and a growing prestige for all of Israel. Solomon's most noted accomplishment was building the building of the temple in Jerusalem. And there is a great deal we can learn from Solomon's example about godliness and God-given wisdom. But we also learn a great deal of, about human frailties and our human vulnerability to falling if we don't guard our hearts and keep God as our first love. Verse 3 of 1 Kings 3 begins with these words. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. And everything else we read in this morning's text hinges on this statement as an ongoing, lasting commitment. Solomon loved the Lord. This is God's command to his people, to Solomon, to Old Testament Israel, to believers in the New Testament, and to you and to me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, that central verse for all faithful and God-fearing Jews says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, we read this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. God's people, when we truly love the Lord, also fear him. But it is not fear in some earthly, worldly, carnal sense of terror. Instead, when we love God, appropriate biblical fear is demonstrated by a love for God and a love for his commandments and a right attitude in walking out the commandments of God and doing his will. And that's not out of some external or legalistic sense, but out of love for God and because of the transformation that he is working in us. I like what Old Testament scholar, the late Old Testament scholar Walter Eichrod says about this passage in his 
Old Testament theology. To fear Yahweh, to keep his commandments, or to walk in his ways have here almost become synonyms. Therefore, fear and love can be used in the same breath as descriptions of right conduct toward God, conduct which includes the loyal worship of Yahweh in compliance with his will. The, the requirement of love is thus nothing other than a new clarification and a deeper understanding of the Old Testament or the Old Commandment to fear God. Let me read that final part again. The requirement of love is thus nothing other than a new clarification and a deeper understanding of the old commandment to fear God. In 1 John chapter 5 in the New Testament, St. John writes these words. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Solomon's strength and wisdom came from the Lord. And they were an outgrowth of his loving biblical fear of God. First, thing, first Kings chapter 3 continues with a record of Solomon going to Gibeon to sacrifice to the Lord. It's important for us in context here to remember that this was before the building of the temple. Gibeon, which had been a pagan high place, was where the tabernacle or the tent of the Lord was located at that time. It had been moved there after the sacking of Shiloh. We, we read the record of this in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 29. Solomon went there and he sacrificed. And after sacrificing there, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And in Solomon's prayerful interaction with the Lord... Solomon does four things which I think are critically important for us to understand. First, Solomon affirmed God's steadfast faithfulness and God's covenant-keeping love in the past. Verse 6, And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David my father because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart. Toward you, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. What Solomon does here is a good, godly practice for every one of us. We see this practice engaged in time and time again in Scripture, where God's people even in difficult times, remember God's steadfast faithfulness and God's covenant-keeping love in the past that has brought them and brought us through to this day, to this place, to this point. And that should serve as a reminder of us in this unusual season that we are living in with so many things that seem uncertain and so many things in this world, in this life that um, people maybe had their hopes inappropriately, inappropriately tethered to, and now those things are kind of being cast aside or they don't feel quite as secure as they used to, that we can look back as God's people and remember God's faithful, steadfast, covenant-keeping love toward us and to his people down through every generation. The second thing we see Solomon doing is that he prays to God for continued favor. 
Solomon is asking God to continue to show his faithfulness and his covenant-keeping love. But there's more. Because the third thing Solomon does is that he voices humility and his utter dependence upon God. Verse 7. Although I am a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. In his own words, from his heart, Solomon is expressing and confessing his utter dependence upon God. He's as much as saying, Lord, I don't have the experience. Lord, I don't have the skill set. And it comes through very clearly here in these words, going out and coming in. Because knowing how to go out or come in, or as Solomon says, not knowing how to go out and come in, in that culture and in the concepts of that day, was an acknowledgement by Solomon that he lacks the leadership and the business skills he needs to lead God's people. And it's reminiscent of the words in Numbers 27 as Joshua succeeded Moses, where we read, who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in? That the congregation of the Lord may not be a sheep that have no shepherd. We need to acknowledge that we can accomplish nothing good and godly, nothing, if you will, for God without being utterly dependent upon him. That acknowledgement that I can't do this of my own strength, as Solomon said, that I'm utterly dependent upon you, I can't go out or come in apart from you, Lord. Acknowledging our helplessness is the starting point. It's the start. But if we are truly, truly depending on God, there is one additional and absolutely essential step that we must take. We can't just stay there uttering, acknowledging our utter lack of self-ability. Because the fourth thing that Solomon does is this. He asks God to give him the ability to carry out his duties. Verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? If God truly is calling us, if God is calling you and me, or if God is calling this church to a task or to a specific ministry, no matter how hard it is, if it is truly something which God is calling us to, he will equip us supernaturally, divinely for that task. But it requires getting beyond ourselves. It requires Scott getting beyond Scott. It requires you getting beyond yourself. It requires us as a church family getting beyond ourselves. Beyond thinking that we can do something even in a small measure or in parts through our own strength and abilities. Because when we trust in our strength and our abilities or our faulty and failing and fleeting human wisdom, we set ourselves up to get into a big mess. 
because then it is not God at work. We start trusting in our flesh, which is fleeting and failing and corrupted. We have to get beyond ourselves. It means getting to the end of our rope and then letting go. Some of you are old enough to remember the old bumper stickers that start out originally that God is my co-pilot. You remember those bumper stickers a lot of years ago and then someone else came out with another bumper sticker. I hate bumper stickers, but came out with another bumper sticker that said, God is my pilot, I'm only the co-pilot. And really neither of those is correct. Really utter dependence upon God, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't use us in our labors and our efforts, but utter dependence upon God really is more like sitting in the driver's seat of a car, getting out, walking to the back and opening the trunk, climbing in the trunk, handing God the keys and then pulling the trunk shut. That's what utter dependence upon God looks like. We are not co-pilots with God. But as we do that, as we get to that place of utter dependence upon Him, where we yield, even in hard places, to His full and complete control and guidance, and we're dependent upon His power and His supernatural working, He will do things far beyond what we can even imagine. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past and seeking God for his continued favor. And this can never be self-serving. And we see that here in 1 Kings chapter 3, that Solomon's motivations were not that he could get or that it was about him or God pouring blessings and riches upon him. That was not the heart motivation. It can never be self-serving. And again, I like what Walter Eichrott says. No God-man relationship can endure which claims the na- in the name of love and yet ultimately revolves around the human ego using God for the satisfaction of its own needs. Seeking God for continued favor means that we don't seek God for some carnal, fleshly satisfaction of our own human needs. But that we look to Him to guide us in His will and His plan and his purposes. There's so much more we could say and touch on here if we had more time. This passage actually could be about three sermons. My wife says I can always turn a passage into more sermons. But there is one final and sobering thought, not to end on a downer, but it's the reality here that I I want to discuss in conclusion. If we read on in 1 Kings chapter 3, and as we read on in 1 Kings... We know that things didn't really end all that well for Solomon and his descendants. And verse 14 of 1 Kings chapter 3 really shows us where Solomon blew it. Where we read, and if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. God called Solomon to continuing, ongoing Faithful, loving obedience. In 1 Kings chapter 11, a little further along in the book, verses 6 through 8, we read this tragically. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. 
Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. What happened? Solomon's situation in 1 Kings 11 and his downfall didn't just somehow suddenly erupt out of the blue. The fact is the seeds are right here in 1 Kings chapter 3 at the very beginning. Because there are two things we see. First in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Kings 3, which were not part of our reading this morning. We read that Solomon made marriage alliances with Egypt. And then in verses 2 and 3, we read that both the people and Solomon were sacrificing at the high places. Now, again, we need to remember that Solomon went to Gibeon because that's where the tabernacle was at that time. But look at the wording of verse 3, or 1 Kings 3 with me. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, only he sacrificed, only, hear that, only, and in some translations it says, except he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. It's important to note here too, it doesn't say at the high place, just referring to Gibeon, he made sacrifices at the high places, at pagan shrines, at places set up to worship God's other than the one true God. In taking wives from Egypt, in sacrificing at places that weren't appointed by God for the rightful worship of the one true living God, Solomon opened his life to the downfall that came much later. Because Solomon allowed those things to continue in his life that were a threat to the pure worship and wholehearted obedience of the Lord his God. Solomon allowed those things to stay in his life that were like cancer cells that grew and multiplied and took root. He made alliances. He made ungodly alliances with the world. He compromised in his obedience and his fidelity to worship of the one true and living God. And we can fall into the same kinds of traps in business life, in intimate relationships, where we allow ourselves to be unequally yoked with non-believers, in allowing other things to compete with our obedience and worship of the one true and living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we allow figuratively those kinds of high places to remain in our lives so that they they take root, they set up conflicting loyalties, competing alliances, that will cause us to fall, that will cause us to blow it and dishonor the Lord our God. Brothers and sisters, God wants all of us. 
He wants all of you. He wants all of me. He wanted all of Solomon with no competing or conflicting loyalties in any area of life. And tolerating, and I speak to myself first, tolerating, minimizing, making excuses for stuff in our lives which competes with God and fidelity to him if we don't deal with it, brothers and sisters, if we don't do the hard work in prayer and even receiving ministry from others to help us root that stuff out, allowing God to root that stuff out of our lives, if we don't deal with it, it will destroy us. We have to let God, we have to invite God into those places, those maybe dark crevasses in our hearts and in our lives that maybe nobody knows about. And we need to, to allow and ask God to root those things out so that our fidelity and our worship and our loyalty and our obedience is to him and to him alone out of loving godly fear of who he is. Not fear and terror, but fear that results in love and a desire out of love to obey him and keep his commandments. I think of someone who was very instrumental when I was in high school of me coming to the Lord. And that person was so fervent in his faith and, and serving the Lord. But he got wrapped up in the business world. And out of a desire for prestige and esteem in the business world, there's nothing wrong with being an effective business person if you do it in a godly way. Please don't misread what I'm saying. But he allowed... His desire to climb the company ladder, his desire to score points and, and continue climbing, he allowed that to creep in and become rooted in his life as a pagan altar, if you will, in a sense. And over time, you saw his tethering to God, his fidelity to Christ diminish and diminish until that person this day, I haven't talked to him in quite some time, is completely out of church has no interest in Christianity. I've watched every one of his kids and not a single one of them knows or serves Christ this day. We have to ask God to root those things out and to guard our hearts from competing loyalties that dishonor him. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. I know that's a little bit of a cliche, but it is true. And God calls us not just to do well and to honor him and to glorify him in the moment. He calls us to run the race with perseverance. He calls us to finish well. And that can only happen, that will only happen as we continue allowing God first place in our lives. We allow him to root out those things those competing loyalties that aren't of him, so that we love the Lord our God with all our heart. And I conclude with these words of St. Paul from 2 Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God give us the grace to love him with all that we are. 
And may he continue to give us the grace to serve him in utter dependence upon him for the glory of his name. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that all of your word is given to teach and instruct us as your people. And you teach and instruct us from both the wonderful yet tragic example of Solomon. Lord, search our hearts. Bring us to that place of utter dependence upon you for all that we are and any task we put our hand to. And Lord, give us the grace to fully open our hearts and lives, even those dark places, to you, that that which is not of you may be rooted out and cast aside that you may fill us in even greater measure with your life and your love. And Lord, keep our eyes fixed upon you so that in the things of this world, in business and in relationships and all the things that come our way, our fidelity will be to you above all and to you alone. And this we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.